It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly Pope-rated edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. As always, it's presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. We've got NFL playoffs to talk about. We've got college basketball to talk about. We've got a gambling segment to make picks in. And we got a segment where you can ask me a question on any topic. Go to Twitter. Hit up hashtag ask skinny anything. Rick is in Chicago where he'll be providing analysis for NKU and UIC. That's uh, right. So I appreciate him carving out some time on his busy day to do this. How are we? How, how is the lovely city of Chicago? Cold? It's a, bit, it's a bit cold, but you know, the Norse are big time, man. We stay in nice hotels. I'm in the JW Marriott, so I can't complain. The yeah, JW Marriott's have nice beds. You they know? have nice everything, yes. That's usually where I steal about five pens each year, too, when I go to a JW Marriott. They got, they got good ink pens. You know you are in a good hotel when the bathroom tissue comes in its own black oh, yeah. carrying case. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, JW Marriott's are, are primo. My, my One of my favorites probably is the one in, in Indy. It's, it's, that's, that's a primo location, too. Yeah, we usually stay at the uh, other Marriott in Indy, which is really nice, too. But, yes, it is. Uh, but yeah, can't go wrong with the JWs. All right, Skinny, the Bengals will play in the AFC Divisional Round on Saturday at 4.30 p.m. in Nashville against the Tennessee Titans. The game can be seen on Local 12. I want you to give me two reasons why the Bengals will beat the Titans and two reasons why the Bengals will lose to the Titans on Saturday. The reason that they'll beat the Titans is big game Joe Burrow. Um, you know, and the, the stat was used last week, and you can even update it after the, the playoffs of his of his four must-win games in college, the Alabama regular season game, uh, the, the Georgia SEC title game, then the two college playoff games, and then the game against the Ravens that pretty much knocked them out of the AFC North, and then the game against Kansas City that clinched the AFC North. Going into the playoffs, he had averaged 444 yards, had 27 touchdown passes, no interceptions in those six games. Well, you can add another 244 yards onto his total, two more touchdowns. Again, no interceptions. The dude is just great in big games. Um, so so I'm starting there as reason number one, and, and I'll, I guess I'll stop and let you comment on each one of those as we go through it. But to me, one big reason is big game Joe Burrow. How can you go wrong there, right? He's the reason the Bengals are in this situation. And if they're going to have any chance to win and advance any farther, it's going to essentially end up on his shoulder. I think everyone is quite aware of that. I I, I think that's an easy number one. Give me your number two. The fact that the defensive line injuries weren't as bad as it could have been. And it's bad. I mean, losing Larry Ogunjobi stinks. But, you know, coming out of coming out of – the playoff game on Saturday it looked like obviously Ogan Joby who mouthed the words, I think it's broke on his foot and obviously then put on injured reserve. You know, Trey Hendrickson was in concussion protocol. Plenty of guys that go into that protocol. It's, it's a, you know, they'll miss a game and come back the following week, but rarely do they come back in, in the, in the, in the, you know, the next week's game. Uh, and, and so to get him back and maybe have Josh Tupo who's practiced this week, get him back in the rotation. Uh, I think the fact that the defensive line injuries weren't quite as bad as it, as it looked and you're going to need that defensive line. I think they'll play some five-man front, um, and you're going to need those guys to, to hold up against that, that Titans running game. So those are my two main reasons. I think that makes a lot of sense, especially when you look at the, the situation at defensive tackle. That's the one that is – I mean, Hendrickson is a big key with the pass rush, but against this Titans team and the way that they like to run the ball more than anyone else in the NFL – Having at least one of those two guys and Ogunjobi and Tupo getting back was going to be a key for this game. How confident are you that Tupo is going to be good to go? Um, I, 
I think he'll be listed as question. Well, it'll come out. Uh, the injury report will be out by the time this podcast is up. I, I think he plays, and, and you don't need him for a ton of snaps. You're going to need him for 15 to 20 snaps as a rotational tackle, or when you go to that five man, five man front. Uh, the other one I'm going to give you a third reason too, Rick, is the Bengals have been good on the road this year. If you take away the Cleveland game, which the backups played, they went 5-2 and two on the road when Joe Burrow started. And the two losses were kind of fluky. The Bears game where Joe threw the three interceptions and three passes. One of those was a weird interception. And then the game at the Jets where they blew an 11.4th quarter lead. You know, you look at that 5-2 and two on the road, that's pretty good. They know how to win on the road. They've been good at it all year. I mean, early in the season, it felt like they were better on the road than they were at home. Right. Now, later in the season, they started, you know, they, they won a couple big games at home, obviously. So it kind of uh, changed that narrative a little bit. But still, they've been very good away from Paul Brown Stadium all season long. Skinny, let's look at a couple reasons why the Bengals will lose the Titans. Uh, if Derrick Henry is 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 the Derrick Henry pre-injury, and, and it's so hard to read, right? Because um, he's been practicing, but, you know, is he in is he in top condition is he going to carry it be able to carry it you know multiple times or are you going to limit him to 12 to 15 carries and what does he do in those 12 to 15 carries maybe he's great in those and that's the thing you can do a lot of great things as a defense and he's just Derrick Henry and he's just going to run right through you um so for 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 the Bengals obviously he is a key guy to stop and that sometimes sounds easier said than done because you know remember last year last couple of years in the playoffs when, when Derrick Henry has gotten a steamroll going Ain't nobody stopping him. I mean, he's just going to plow through people and run through defenses even when you gang up on him. So as much as you you might scheme against it, you may think you've got him surrounded, he's just that good of a running back. And, and Deontay Foreman's giving him a nice, that gives him now a nice one-two punch because Foreman's a big physical back. So they got two physical guys that are going to probably, no matter how you, you, you slice and dice the number of carries, are probably going to carry it 30 to 35 times. And yeah, they're going to pop a couple you just don't want them to pop five six seven or eight of those or get six seven eight yards of of chunk runs and keep themselves in second and shorts for the most part all day so uh yeah derrick henry being the derrick henry we've seen in the past that would be a reason the bengals lose my guy uh, doug tift sent these over to me and these might have been out there on the internet a little bit more i hadn't seen them from anyone else except for him he says fun fact marcus Mariota was the last titans quarterback to throw for 100 yards in a playoff win (laughs) during the 2020 run to the afc title Title game, I should say. Title game, yeah. Tannehill's lines in the two wins were 8 of 15 for 72 yards, one touchdown, one interception, and 7 of 14 for 88 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Then he followed that up with also a fun fact. Ryan Tannehill has never won a playoff game in which his running back had less than 175 yards rushing. Yeah, that's a great stat. And and it, it, it speaks to obviously – they had so much success with Henry running the ball that you just keep going to it. They also were playing from ahead in a lot of those games, so they kept sticking with it. But listen, I don't think they think Ryan Tannehill is going to go out, drop back 40 times, and, and win him a playoff game. So that goes back to the whole, if you can stop Derrick Henry, and you can, and he's not as effective as, as he could potentially be, um, you got to feel really good about winning the game. That's why. But I'll go back to if, if Derrick Henry is Derrick Henry we've seen, and, and he just imposes his will, um, that's a reason the Bengals could lose. And give me your second reason. Um, Ryan Tannehill potentially making unscripted plays. Um, you know, he's, he's really athletic. Um, you know, he can get out in the pocket and, and make scramble plays. He can keep plays alive. I, I know Zach Taylor was asked to, you know, cause he coached him at, at Texas A&M and, and coached him, uh, I believe his early in his NFL career with Miami. Um, I don't know where he pulled the stat up from, but he said, he talked about him being really good on naked bootleg plays. And he said, you know, I, I remember a time he was 28 of 29 on those plays. 
Um, I don't know if that was in a practice at A&M. I don't know if that was, you know, at, at one stretch with, with Miami or maybe one stretch even with Tennessee recently. But he is good at getting outside the pocket and creating some plays that, that are completely unscripted. And if he's able to do some of those things, uh, that's unfortunate because you can't you can't plan for him. Um, and so to me, uh, if, he, if, if he makes some unscripted plays where he keeps it alive or on third and nine runs 14 yards for a first down to keep a drive alive, that could be a, a reason the Bengals lose as well. Well, and on a similar note there, when you think about their main weapons, Henry and Julio Jones and A.J. Brown, I mean, th- these guys haven't been healthy at the same time right. for more than a couple games all season long. So there is that lingering factor in the back of my mind where I'm thinking, what if these guys are really potent and really explosive when they all finally link up and they're all healthy? The, right. the extra week off doesn't always seem like a great thing. But it, in the it is for the them. Titans, yeah, when they were so banged up all season long and they have all these weapons that they're they're kind of waiting to get back to 100% at the same time, this kind of seemed like a little almost mini training camp for them to, to get everyone back and then get them playing together and on the same page again. Yeah, and I'll go back to the Henry thing. You know, I I mentioned is he is he ready for you know physical football after being away for so long? The flip side of that is he hasn't had to face physical football for a while. So how fresh might his body be? And maybe he's ready to to dole out punishment. And and all those guys, they they got monsters. I mean, the two receivers are big. Tannehill's a big guy. Henry's a big guy. Foreman's a physical runner. That's a physical football team for sure. Oh, absolutely. And they should. There is some uh, video floating around Twitter the other day of him back at practice, Derek Henry. And, you know, it's, it's just a, a video of him running through a couple teammates who are giving him a little shoulder pop or whatever. And he just explodes through these two poor practice squad guys, I'm sure. <laughs> and they're looking at him like, what the hell's wrong with you, man? This is just a light drill, you know? So, I mean, it, not that that video really means anything, but it's just kind of one of the, as a Bengals fan, you go, oh yeah, he's, he's healthy, isn't he? He, lo- he looks good to go. Yeah, no, he's he's a scary guy. But you know, you go back to last year and in in um, you know, Tennessee piled up well over 400 yards. He had a 100-yard rushing day, and the Bengals still won that game. It's a good point. That that's the thing about this Titans team, right? Is they are in a lot of ways one-dimensional and it, it's not that the Bengals are cl- clearly better than them or you feel great about the Bengals winning this game, but it's just the fact that if you're going to play in the AFC divisional round, Whoever you're playing is going to be good. There are no That's right, easy no question. Right. At this point. That's right. So if you're going to play a, a really talented team, I'll take my chances against the team that's the most one-dimensional. Yeah, and, and on the flip side, and, and, and when I did my regular segment with Mo Egger on, on Wednesday, we were talking a little bit about this. And, and I think, you know, if, if you're the Titans, you, you look at this Bengals offense right now and you say to yourself, who do we take away? Um, do we take away Jamar Chase? Okay, that sounds great in theory, but then – Teams tried that, and T. Higgins killed him. Do we do we try to take away all of that and play deep coverage and play six in the box, and then maybe it's time for Joe Mixon to get back on track? And as, and as well as Burrow is playing right now, I don't think that you can throw any look at him that's going to confuse him. Um, he's really accurate. He's really confident. Um, I, I think when you look at it from that perspective, you're like, well, Tennessee's got a tough matchup here. It's not the Bengals having a tough matchup. It's Tennessee having a tough matchup. Exactly. I mean, and that's that's the whole thing to it. The, the Bengals are such a diverse offense and it's what you face if you play the Chiefs it's what you face if you play the Bills to some extent although you know they can't really run the ball as much they're they're running it kind of Josh Allen making plays unscripted but they're still an offense that you you have to account for a lot of things and they feel dangerous they feel potent and again 
I realize that you have King Henry over on the other sideline for Tennessee, and he is just a monster all to himself. They have receivers. It's not like they do not have talent on this Tennessee team, but as you've already laid out, if they're going to win, and even in their own meetings right now, they're probably saying something similar that they're not going to be relying on Ryan Tannehill dropping back a bunch and making plays with his arm. They are a team that's going to stick to a scripted approach of pounding the football, playing defense, and doing what they do. And it's going to be a tough game no matter what. But if you're the Bengals, this is the best matchup that you could have asked for. Yeah, I I, I would completely agree. I mean, I, I can make a lot of cases, um, whoever wins the Buffalo Kansas City game because the Bengals have to play it at either Buffalo or Kansas City that that game will be extraordinarily tough I don't feel that way about this game and and that's saying it about the one seed um you know Tennessee winning's not a shocker they're a good football team as you mentioned they got the one seed for a reason but yeah this is by far the best matchup that you could have gotten in this round you know we, we already talked about it a little bit but how I mean how big of a role do you think injuries will play in this game it seems like the Titans are back to being pretty much fully healthy yeah and that's the thing I mean you mentioned you, you really haven't seen their their whole skill group together for much of the season and, you know for a while it was both Jones and Brown out then Brown came back and Jones was out um, then Henry was out and so you never had them all at the same time and so yeah I, I think it is big and, and you know maybe we are discounting that fact of hey they're probably looking at going, hey, we finally got all, all, all the band all together. We're good to go. You haven't even really seen what we can really do on offense this year because we haven't had a chance to do that. And I guess that's a little scary, too, because let's face it, is Julio Jones the Julio Jones of five years ago? Of course not. But he's still Julio Jones, as somebody mentioned this week. I mean, it's still he's still that big physical presence. He still Specimen. has abil- ability. Brown's a really good receiver. And then, of course, now then, then there's Henry. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to guess from their perspective, it's, hey, we finally got all our guys. Let's see what we can do. Let's see let's see what you can try to take away. You want to take away this? Well, we got that. You want to take away that? We got this. They're probably thinking the same thing. Skinny, you've been covering the team all season long, but you've been in the Zooms this week, the interviews with players, press conferences. You've been scouring the Internet for everything that's going on and posting at Channel 12. Have you come across anything interesting? Have you heard anything interesting? Is there anything that stands out that's come out of this week that we haven't gotten to at all? I, I think it's just the, the continued confidence. In fact, I'm, I'm, if I get to it, I'm trying to write this Joe Burrow story that I just can't seem to piece together the way I want to. But I think it's the fact of, of the continuing evolution of Burrow. Um, you know, he's gone from a guy, and, and that was kind of my lead, uh, was he went from a guy that we saw last year that we went, yep, he's going to be a pretty good NFL quarterback one day. You know, he's got all the makings of it, but nothing to wow you, right? He didn't do really anything to wow you last year. He just made you go, yep, got it. This is, this is, he's going to be pretty good. And as this season went along, there were flashes early where you, you know, you're thinking, eh, you know, he's, he's pretty good, but I don't see him being great yet. And then boom, all of a sudden, basically here of late, comes this guy who is just ridiculously good, making play after play, throw after throw, um, carrying teams to, to wins. And at this point now, you you say he's a top-tier quarterback. In fact, I, I was trying to find a, a ranking to go off of so I could kind of u- use that. And, and I, I just Googled it, NFL quarterback tiers to see who ranked them. And, and the first one I came across was Mike Tannenbaum, the, the ESPN commentator who's a, a former NFL GM. And it, it, it surprised me when I, I saw where he had Burrow ranked, and I guess I shouldn't have. He had him ranked fifth among NFL quarterbacks. Had him ahead of Josh Allen. Um, so that tells me that he is in that top tier of quarterbacks. And, and to me, to have that happen in year two this quickly, I, I still think that's a little surprising. Maybe fans aren't so, – you know, in this league, it's surprising. Because, look, Justin Herbert hasn't taken a team to the playoffs yet, right? Tua hasn't taken a team to the playoffs yet, right? 
Um, you know, you've, you've got a bunch of these, you know, quarterbacks that have come along here the last few years. Really only Josh Allen has, has, has done anything of note what he's done in Kansas City. And I'm, I, I'm kind of predating Mahomes and, and Lamar Jackson slightly before that, I guess, although Allen was in that, that draft class. But for the, for the most part, of the, new, the last two or three years of draftable quarterbacks, Joe, Joe Burrow is kind of the exception to the rule. And we're still talking about a guy who hasn't had a normal NFL offseason yet and a guy who has been sacked more than any other quarterback in the league over the last two years. Just think about that to add on top of this ascension to elite status. Yeah, no, right. I, 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 and he's not a done deal. He was asked by by somebody yesterday or whatever day we talked to him, Tuesday, I guess it was, um, of, you know, do you still think defenses try to surprise you? Have you seen everything from defenses? He said, he said, no. He said, listen, Tom Brady's probably seen everything an NFL defense can throw at you. He goes, but I was three years old when Tom Brady came into this league. So I, I haven't seen everything and I'm sure I'll see more. I, I think his whole point was I'm still evolving too. And that's, that's pretty incredible to think about. And, and I, I know that when you're drafted number one overall, the expectation is this, but we've seen quarterbacks get drafted number one overall and they don't do this this quickly. They just don't. And especially with a franchise that, had a lot of holes to fill and still has some holes to fill, uh, especially with those of the guys that are protecting him. And to see what he's done in such a short period of time, I mean, to go from, like I said, in, in, in a year, from a guy who you said, yeah, I think he's going to be okay. He's going to be a pretty good NFL quarterback. And then, of course, having to go through the knee injury on top of it and coming back from that. And now you watch and you put him in the upper tier of upper echelons of quarterbacks. That's a hell of an ascension. I'm, I, I, I know people go, well, that's what you saw. It doesn't work that way for a lot of guys. It just doesn't. And that's what makes this guy obviously special. Well, and remember, I don't know how many weeks in, but yeah, we got a handful of weeks into the season, maybe even midway, and Burrow was leading the NFL in interceptions right, at that time. Right. And we were talking about, oh, you know, making some some weird decisions here and, and missing some things. And look look at what he – just the evolution even during this year. I mean, he, he has evolved – by the end of the season into this guy who is an elite quarterback, but even midway through the season, people weren't talking about him like that. I mean, everyone was aware that, oh man, he he's taken another step forward and he's getting even better, but that continued throughout the entire season. His progress wasn't just the off season. And then once the season started, he was the same guy. It was like, he kept adding pieces to his game as this season went along. And by the time we got to that final stretch there at the end of the regular season, where you, know, you got, three or four really big games that, that the Bengals got to find a way to win. He was unbelievable. Yeah. I, I know people are not big into passer rating, but it is a metric and it is used. I mean, you look at his last, he, he went through a stretch Rick of four straight games under a hundred passer rating. Um, two of those actually, one was a 69 and one was a 70.8. And then he popped out of that for the last five games. Last four regular season games he played and then the playoff game. 125.6, 103.8, 143.2, 148, and 110.4. I mean, he and he has not thrown an interception in his last five starts. After leading, as you mentioned at one point, leading the league in interceptions thrown. Um, I think it shows you that he he evolved as this season went along. And again, who knows where where, where he finishes the, his, his, he's not a finished product yet. Yeah, if you're wondering where he ended the season, he ended up tied for, I guess it would actually be technically third. There were a couple of guys with 17 interceptions, a handful of guys with 15 interceptions, and then he was in a group of three that had 14. That also included Ryan Tannehill and Derek Carr, strangely enough. Right. Isn't that something? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, 
it just it, it felt like all of a sudden he just blew up and maybe it was the fact that he started to trust the knee more and you remember he started making some plays outside the pocket and I think all that those had a things. lot to do with it I, I do too um but you know he has now become the guy that you saw at LSU at times of man this dude just has it yeah it seemed like he went from just worrying a little bit about that knee still and, and keeping out of harm's way and not trying to do too much early in the season. And, and that may have rushed him in the pocket at times. It may have made him made some bad reads at times to now by the end of the year, he is fully laser focused on how do I destroy your defense? Even if I have to extend a play and do something crazy and get outside the pocket and run almost out of bounds before I let go of this ball. That's the only thing that's on his mind. Now you could, it just, it does not seem like he is considering that leg at all or worried about keeping out of harm's way or getting happy feet in the pocket or anything of that nature at all. No, right. Exactly. All right, skinny. We will, break down the game in terms of our picks here in a little bit during our betting segment. But first we want to take a trip over to the basketball side of things. We haven't talked about the college basketball scene in a while. And quite frankly, because there wasn't a ton going on, we had games canceled due to COVID and there was so much football craziness in the city with the Bearcats and the Bengals that just took a little bit of hiatus from it. It just wasn't on the forefront, but uh, things are starting to heat up again. So I want to take a trip through each team and kind of discuss where things are at. And we'll start with the hottest team in the region, and that's Kentucky. The, the Big Blue have won four in a row since the loss at LSU, including a 107 to 79 win over Tennessee last weekend anticipation for the showdown in the sec against auburn is brewing here for this saturday at noon prior to the Bengals game skinny what are your thoughts on where kentucky stands both from a national landscape and an sec perspective right now yeah i mean we're going to find out saturday um because of that that game at auburn and really auburn doesn't have a ton of test players. They've got a fairly easy SEC schedule. So this is almost a must win for Kentucky if it wants to win the SEC. If they lose, they'd fall two games behind. Um, I, I still don't know what to make of this team, Rick. And, and you know, they, they go to Texas A&M last night, shoot 36% from the field and have to gut out a win, 64-58. Um, they did beat Vandy by 12 at Vandy. But remember, Vandy ended that game on a 16-0 run. They lost at LSU, and they lost at Notre Dame. I mean, that, those are the true road games this year. So in true road games, they are 2-2. Two and two, And and honestly, one of the wins at the A&M win, they just didn't shoot it great. And that it just still makes me wonder, this team away from home, can it, can it win games? Can it win big games? It still has to play at Kansas in a couple of, or a week from, from tomorrow on the 29th. So they've got back-to-back big, tough Saturdays at Auburn, at Kansas. And I think after that, we're going to know, all right, is this team going to be just a maybe make it to the second weekend team? Or is this a team that can, can maybe can contend to get to the final four? I think you'll find that out over the next two weekends. I think they can win road games. And, I, and I, I think your point's a good one, that they haven't really proven that they can play well away from home yet. But I think they'll be okay in those situations long-term. And the reason why is because Oscar Shibwe. It's the same reason that they're not blowing some of the games against bad teams that they have in the last couple of years. Because hey, listen, he, A&M's pretty good this year. I mean, they were 15-2, they were yeah. 4-0 in the league going into last night. So that, that's a good win. Yeah, it, it was solid, especially on the road. And um, the Vandy game, you know, is is kind of another example of this where they didn't play well throughout the entire game. But Shibway is just so dominant against the bad teams. And I also think he provides a, a baseline for them, even on the road, even when they're struggling, that he plays so hard and is so consistent on the glass that it, you're going to have to earn a win over Kentucky to some extent. 
Yeah, and I think you saw that Notre Dame earned a tough win. LSU earned a tough win. And Kentucky fought tooth and nail in both of those. And I think you're right. Shibway was a huge part of, of those games. And even last night, he didn't score it well, but he still grabbed 14 rebounds. Yeah, I mean, he, he is as good of a rebounder as I can recall seed. I mean, I you know, I don't really re- remember Dennis Rodman in college or what he looked like. But, I mean, just over the, the modern era of the last you know, 10 to – 15 years of college basketball players. I mean, name a guy who's more dominant in the paint area than Oscar Shibway, both on well, the glass and as a shot blocker. And, and he does it in a lot of different ways. Um, he does it fundamentally. I've watched him block out like a smaller guy has to block out in order to get a rebound. I've watched him do it that fundamentally. He reads, bounces perfectly off of offensive rebounds, and he's got just a motor to go get it. I mean, That's it's everything you can. It's everything you can ask for. Um, doing it fundamentally, doing it um, just to have. And some guys do have. You know how it is, Rick. Some guys just have a knack for knowing where the ball is going to bounce. They just do. Um, you know, shot from the corner, you figure out, I see it's going to probably bounce over this way. So I'll take a step that way, rebounding out of my area, all those things. And then the motor to boot. I mean, he just, he feels like he wants to grab literally every rebound he can grab. And obviously he's got the physicality and, and just enough hops to get it done. Playing hard is a skill. We talk about that all the time when evaluating prospects, but certain guys understand how to access a different level of playing hard inside themselves than other guys do. It is a skill to be able to play as hard as Oscar Shibway does all the time. Not a lot of guys can take it to that level, and uh, it's a difference maker when you get to the the high major levels of the sport. No question. Um, I mean, like you said, it, we'll see who's the, the top dog in the SEC this weekend on Saturday, at least in that matchup. And it will be a big deal because, like you said, Auburn probably isn't going to lose too many more games. It will give them a nice little leg up in the standings. But just in terms of the the national race, are you – I mean, Kentucky has moved up to number three in Ken Palm. Their efficiency analytics are looking good. Where do you have this Kentucky team? Do you think they're worthy of being at least a top 10 team in college basketball this year? I think they can be, um, but, you know, I think the proof is what we're going to see the next couple of weeks. And, and listen, it may not even be a matter of winning games. Maybe you just play tooth and nail with both of those and you walk away and go, hey, on their home court, Kansas and Auburn are better. Um, and that's uh, that's fair to, to, to say. Uh, you know, losing at LSU was no embarrassment. Uh, you know, the Notre Dame loss felt bad at the time, although Notre Dame's playing better at the moment. So I, I hate to cop out. I, I honestly don't know because it feels like every time they've hit a little stumbling block, they get an easy home game and they snap out of it, right? Uh, um, I, I think they have the pieces. You know, Davion Mintz is starting to really become a great addition off the bench. Uh, Grady's starting to shoot it better again. You know, the question, you know, for a while when Xavier Wheeler was out was, is that a little addition by subtraction? Probably not. Now he's back and you're playing him and Ty Ty together. And Ty Ty got a chance to play point guard in his absence and did really, really well. Um, you've got some functional size you can bring in if you want to go a little bit bigger. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it, I think it's a good team. I just, I don't know if it's elite yet and because it just hasn't proven that. Ty Ty Washington is special. He He's the guy that really can... I think take this team to another level. He had, I think it was 28 in that win over Tennessee yep. and skinny. He's got one. He has a great mid range game, which Kentucky's kind of bucking the national trend this year because they are an elite offense, according to all the statistics and they're super efficient, but they don't shoot any threes. Really? I mean, well, keep, they, keep in mind, keep in mind too. Shibway gives you a lot of second chances. Well, of course. And free throws too, but right, like right. Uh, overall as a team, they don't shoot a lot of free throws, but he gets to the line a decent amount and he gets on the offensive glass like crazy, which is the biggest reason they are as efficient as they are. But still, you know, I mean, they, 
they do things like one of their top young talents, Ty Ty Washington, plays in the mid-range a lot. He scores a lot of points there, and he is so good with his pull-up jumper, whether it be from three-point range or when he's coming off a ball screen. There's a lot of guys that shoot well off the catch as a spot-up guy. There aren't a lot of guys who shoot it really well off the dribble, and he appears that he might be the latter. I mean, he's he's shooting a high percentage from three-point range. He's shooting a good percentage overall. It looks like he has a little bit more left in his bag that he can get to before the season's over. I'm, I'm pretty high on Ty Ty Washington right now. Yeah, no, he, and, and I, I just wonder if maybe when Wheeler was out, that gave him a chance to kind of uh, evolve a little bit more and, and and be on the ball a little bit more. So maybe that maybe that was kind of a jump start for him. And, and you're right, I, I, I love his mid-range game too and I think I think it's still an underrated part of everybody's game listen I know it's become a three-point or dunk game for the most part I understand that's what the analytics say but if you can't shoot it from three-point range and you're really good in the mid go play the mid-range game I mean it, it, your fight's fine if you want to if you want to make a bunch of twos that you can make as opposed to chucking up threes you can't great go for it that's like I always say the best players are still really effective mid-range players but they're the best players for a reason. The, the problem is there aren't a lot of guys who can be efficient right. and effective in the mid-range. Ty Ty Washington appears to be one of them, and obviously Cal is letting him do that. All right, let's switch gears over to the Xavier side of things. The Musketeers are 4-2 and two in Big East play, and despite having only played six games, both of those losses are to Villanova because of the weird way the schedule worked out with them having games canceled due to COVID. The Musketeers beat Creighton on Saturday, 80-73, and then snuck out of Chicago with a 68-67 to win over DePaul on Wednesday night. Skinny, where do you think this Xavier team stacks up in the Big East? Uh, they're in the upper echelon for sure. Um, it, it's disappointing to lose to Nova at home. It's disappointing really to lose to anybody at home in, in the league because of how hard the road is going to be. But, you know, you got Nova out of the way now. Um, you still have a bunch of tough games, obviously, left. You still got to play Seton Hall twice. You still got to play UConn twice. Um, you still got to play Providence twice. Um, so, you know, that you still got obviously some tough ones left ahead of you, but you can't, I will say this, you can't lose to a DePaul. I mean, that was a, you talk about sneaking out. You're right. You, that, that had to be a win. That could not be a loss. And I know DePaul is playing better and they are better. Um, they were missing their leading score and who knows what would happen if, if he'd have played, but it just, it feels like, right. You know, Paul Scruggs was terrible last night. I mean, I thought he was just awful. Um, and, and you know, Jack Nungy's coming to the rescue and, and Zach Fremantle can't guard. It feels like it feels like each game now I'm coming to more questions than I am answers. Yeah, and I think a lot of Xavier fans, especially because of what happened the, the last two seasons and especially last year, are always kind of waiting for that other shoe to drop. And it felt know? like it was going to drop last night. It really did. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, you go three straight games here where they've gotten themselves off to slow starts. They lose the Villanova game because of a bad first half, and then they find themselves down at Creighton and kind of slogging through one. They that was a good. But that was a, that was a good win, though. Yeah, it was. They end up scoring 80 points, but, you know, people start freaking out in that one when they get off to the slow start. And then this DePaul game, rightfully so. You know, I mean, they found themselves down by double figures in both halves. Even after they came back from that 12-point deficit in the first half and were able to get right back, and they were only down by two at halftime, they find themselves down by 10 again in the second half. So, I mean, there are some, you know, and, and... I always say the other teams on scholarship too. Like they're allowed to have their own runs. They're allowed to have their own players have big nights. And they, DePaul got that out of their secondary guy, David Jones, last night. Who, who he was crazy in, good in the first half. Holy yeah, cow. he stepped up in the a- absence of Javon Freeman Liberty. He scored 20 in the first half. And, and sometimes that happens. A guy knows he's going to. 
he's going to have a neon green light because the the top guy is out and and he kind of goes off and plays with a little more confidence but uh, you'd also argue you know there's a couple defensive breakdowns Jerome Hunter's leaving guys wide open and and they let a guy like Brandon Johnson who's been a 20% three-point shooter to this point wide open early in the game and let him get two threes to to go down so uh, there's some bad luck stuff happening there too that they contributed to their really slow start but I get why fans are anxious and nervous about three straight games where you, you don't play all that well, you don't look too sharp. But at the same time, I also look at what the Big East is like. And I mean, Nova on Wednesday night loses at home to Marquette. Yeah, they've, got, Marquette. Two lo- they've got two losses in the league. Just like, In fact, the only team with, with, with less than two losses is Providence at 4-1. And Providence, remember, went through a stretch, what was it, last week or the week before, where they were supposed to play at Creighton, it got canceled. Supposed to play UConn at home, it got canceled. Uh, and it's supposed to play at Seton Hall. I mean, I can argue they could have lost all three of those and certainly would have lost at least one of those. So technically, all the teams in the league at the upper upper echelon of it are all about the same with two losses. So Xavier's, as much as it doesn't feel right, they still sit there at four and two, and that's basically where everybody else is in the league. Yeah, it, it's funny because I can I can kind of talk myself into, yeah, you know, this this team, there is something about it that just doesn't feel like it's it's – quite there in terms of being at the top of the conference or a team that's going to be able to make a run. And then on the other hand, I can look at this team and be like, they're 14 and three. They are in position right now to be like a four to six seed in right. the NCAA tournament, assuming they, they continue playing like they are. And their only losses right now are to an Iowa state team that is majorly overachieving and was super hot to start the season and Villanova twice, a team that, has their number, has had their number, and sometimes there are teams that are just bad matchups for you. Villanova is a bad matchup for everyone, but especially Xavier, it seemed like, with the way they like to do things defensively and and offensively, Villanova's switching defense, the way they spread you out and play small and move the ball and shoot all the threes, for whatever reason, it has given Xavier trouble since they've joined the Big East. Like I said, it's given everyone trouble. It's given everyone in the country trouble. Villanova's been one of the best programs in the country over the last... What, what's it been now, seven or eight years? Right. But it's given Xavier as much trouble as anybody. And so I, I think you can look at that. I mean, you know, the last time Xavier got a one seed and won the Big East Conference during the regular season, they struggled against Nova too. So it's, uh, you know, I mean, it's, if, if Nova's the only team you're losing to, that's not a major issue. And I can talk myself into that, that Xavier is fine despite those two losses. But at the same time, I understand why fans get anxious when they see a performance like Xavier had against DePaul coming on the heels of back-to-back games where they weren't quite as sharp. Yeah, but you know now you got Marquette on Sunday, and maybe you get him in a letdown spot. I don't know. It, this league, it feels like the, the winner of this league is going to probably have five losses, right? Yes, agreed. Yeah, I mean, so it's – I, it's going to feel weird the whole year because I, I just don't see teams going on these like five, six, seven game winning streaks where you can always feel good about them. There's just going to be a bump in the road just because of how hard the league is. Yeah, and it's going to be survive at home. You know, Xavier's lost the one game to Villanova at home, but survive in all the other games at home and then steal whatever you can on the road. They got one at DePaul. That was an opportunity that you didn't want to let slip away because no, for sure. no there's going to be few and far road wins here in this conference. But yeah, I mean that you can you. No one is going to dominate the road games in this conference. That's a fact. So, yeah. um, they're in a very good spot, and I think for, for the most part, there are 
these are the types of games. The DePaul game, for example, are the types of games that Xavier didn't find a way to win last year. You know, they dug themselves the big hole in both halves and they'd make a comeback, but they wouldn't find a way to make the plays down the stretch. And yeah, Paul Scruggs made some mistakes, as you alluded to. He's got to be better at valuing possessions and not turning the ball over. But a year ago, those turnovers would have cost them even more and they would have given the game away. Instead, Wednesday night, they find a way, way to win at DePaul. And I just think th- there's something different about this team. And maybe it's just the addition of Jack Nungy giving them more resistance inside defensively that enables to get them to get more stops. Uh, maybe it's just that they're a little bit more experienced and they're a little bit more healthy than they were at the end of last year. And, and they're able to pull out some of those games, but um, either way, I think this team is in a pretty good spot and I think they, they should finish in the top four of the big East, but it's never going to be easy in this conference. Yeah, no, I, and I, I think I'm with you in that. I think they finished in the, in the upper, the upper tier of the, of the conference as well. well. After losing the conference opener to Tulane, UC has bounced back to a three and two record in American play, the Bearcats had an impressive 87 to 60 win over SMU. And after an 87 to 80 loss to Memphis, they've picked up wins over East Carolina and Wichita State. Same question for the Bearcats, Skinny. Where does this UT- UC team stack up in the American? Yeah, the Tulane loss doesn't look quite as bad because they're four and two in the league. So, you know, maybe Tulane's got it, got its act together at the right time because it really looked when they lost that game of, uh oh. Um, but, you know, even the Memphis loss, I thought UC played really, really well, had the lead, you know, in the, in the second half of that game. Memphis kind of came back at home to win it at a desperate time for them, too. They were they, they're desperate for wins at the moment. They, and they've gone back to struggle street losing to East Carolina. thought the win at Wichita was a good, solid win. Um, David DeJulius did what we said he's going to have to probably do and, and, you know, become in games like that. The go to guy He scores 18 points, including the go ahead bucket that, that put him ahead for good. Um, I think they're about where I thought they would be, and, and the league's kind of where I thought it would be, other than Tulane kind of sneaking up at 4-2. and two. Houston's clearly dominant. Smooth's pretty good, and their one loss in the league is to who? The Bearcats. That's right. And then and then UC's in that pile of teams with two losses with Tulane and, and Temple. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think they're probably the third or fourth best team in that conference still. And, and they're getting it done the way we expected they yep. would. It's mostly defense. It's toughness on the offensive glass at times. Um, but this, this team, ultimately it comes down to getting a really good performance out of David DeJulius, or maybe at times Jeremiah Davenport, because he's had a couple big performances of late too, that has helped spark the offense, but really that's what they need. They just don't have enough firepower that without one of their top guys going for a big game, it, it makes it tough on them. Yeah. And Dan Davenport had big games against Memphis and East Carolina and DeJulius had the big game against Wichita state. So you're right. Uh, Skinny, anything else on UC before we switch gears here to NKU? No, I, I do wonder this. Is that a one bid league? Uh, you know, I, I I tweeted that out the other night. Well, it would I be don't... two. It would be two bids if somebody other than Houston wins the conference. Sorry, Houston's an automatic is is a bid, but yeah, yeah Houston's it, going to be in there. But in terms of other at large teams, I don't think there's going to be one. SMU was the team that seemed like they had the best chance. I don't know that this UC team is going to be consistent enough. to. They don't have a great resume already. Right. And I think they still have a few more landmines on the way through their American Athletic Conference schedule. So SMU was the team that I thought had the chance to join Houston. And at this point, they ain't looking like, I mean, obviously everyone thought Memphis was that team at the beginning of the season, but they have been a huge disappointment. And 
SMU isn't looking like they're going to go on much of a run either in this conference. So I think you've got Houston and then you've got a bunch of blah in the American this year. Yeah. I mean, if somebody upsets Houston in the conference tournament, that makes it uh, an interesting conference tournament. But for the most part, I just don't know if anybody's playing for, for, for a bit other than Houston. <laughs> That's exactly right. All right. NKU is now six and nine overall on the season. The Norse are two and four in horizon league play. Last weekend, they picked up a big road win at Youngstown State, 68-67, and then followed it up with a disappointing loss to a Robert Morris team that was previously winless in conference play. Skinny, what do you make of where NKU season is headed at this point? I, I got a chance to listen to your all's call at the end of the Youngstown game where they scored on the inbounds play at the end to, to really – I mean, things would be really dire if they had not found a way to win that game. And then the loss to Robert Morris. I mean – Rick, they average shooting 33s a game, basically, and they don't shoot it very well. I mean, are they too reliant on it, or is it just good shooters not making? So I'm flipping the script on you a little bit here. I just know that they average almost 33s a game, and they're only shooting 33%. That's not very good. Yeah, I mean, in, in conference play, they they shoot as basically as many threes as anyone, and they're second last in terms of three-point percentage in conference play. Yeah, so, 28.3 in conference play. That's even Yeah, it's even worse than the overall percentage. It's definitely an issue, and they are over-reliant on the three, but it's also how they're built to win. I mean, they just don't have an inside presence that they can play through at all. They well, let's go, have... let, let's, go to, let's go to what we talked about with, with Ty Ty Washington. I think they got some mid-range guys, though. They do to an extent, and that's when they're at their best. Trayvon Faulkner has it going on the offensive end, and he's a good mid-range player. Marquez Warwick has some some floater game and, and runner game to him in the mid-range as well. When those two guys are at their best, they are scoring in the mid-range. And I also think with this NKU team, and you can look at the, the box scores over the last – I'd say three or four games probably, they are shooting fewer threes. They've been good at getting down to, to, to block area or extended block area a lot of times with their guards. They're trying to play more inside out, and they're doing that by inverting their offense a little bit. Instead of throwing into their big men who just frankly aren't skilled enough or good enough playmakers to, to be guys that you play through, they've been putting Trayvon Faulkner, Marquez Warwick, or Sam Vinson down on the block and letting them – either bully smaller guards if they've got the one-on-one -on -one matchup or if help comes, they can make a play for their teammates down there because they have that, that ability on the offensive end. So I think they're trying to do a better job of, of change how they're approaching it on the offensive end. And that's worked for them some, but I, the biggest, the most frustrating thing with this team is you just have no idea what you're going to get out of each guy on a game-to-game -game basis. There's no real level of consistency. Marquez Warwick has started to pick it up in terms of his scoring, and he's putting up bigger scoring totals each game. But he, in the other aspects of the game, in terms of the, the defense, the toughness, is he going to show up and, and play with a high cue and make plays, or is it going to be kind of a game where, uh, you know, he's he's inefficient and not going to play a lot of defense and, and just shoot some threes? So, you know, it, it's a weird group because you see them in practice and they have great energy. They practice hard. And at times when, when things are clicking on the court, they can be very good, especially in the, at the horizon league level. But then at other times, they just don't seem to have confidence. They don't seem to have energy. And uh, maybe some of it's just lacking top end talent while relying on young guys to fulfill those roles. And those young guys maybe just aren't quite mature enough to be consistent at it yet. And the schedule didn't do them any favors. I mean, they had three home games that were postponed, right? And then they have had to play back-to-back -back road trips um, on back-to-back -back weekends. And it, it, I don't care what league you play in. It's still hard to go on the road and win. You know, you 
if he can get out of this with a split, maybe this, and you could possibly sweep this week. If you do that, you got yourself set up fairly nicely. You got five straight home games after that. And maybe that's all it takes is to just find a way to get these two road wins, come back home and start to get on a roll. Maybe. Uh, but the flip side is, you know, they haven't been great on the road. So maybe they lose these two road games and confidence goes even worse. Yeah, I mean, well, as we're recording this here on Thursday morning, they'll play UIC tonight at UIC, which will be a tough game. According to Ken Palm, they're a three-point underdog. And then on Saturday at noon, they've got a game that they've got to find a way to win against IUPUI. IUPUI is ranked terrible. 157th terrible. in the entire country out of 358 teams by Ken Palm. Sheesh, they've awful. won one game this season, and it's against Spalding University, which uh, is out of Louisville, right? Yes, and I don't know if you know a lot about Spalding, Skinny, but they're not exactly Division One. If you know, no, that saying. that that is a fact. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, they have not won a Division One game. They've not won a Horizon League game. Talking about IUPUI, it, it's a road game, but it's a game that NKU absolutely cannot lose. So, uh, th- this I think, like you said, surviving this weekend. If you find a way to go two and zero here on the road, and you get back home with that long home stand, then maybe you can fight your way back into the, the picture and. And uh, maybe even a, a top four seed for the Horizon right. League tournament where you'd get that home game and a first round bye, and the tournament would would still be in play. But it starts this weekend with winning a couple of games on the road here. Yep. All right, let's get into our betting segment. Last week, we were both three and three. We both had all the same pick, so that wasn't a shock. And we are still tied 113-99 and four overall. We'll start Saturday. We're I, I, go- I will say I, I I did hit a three-team parlay that I had to really sweat in many ways. I took the Bengals down to two and a half. I took the Bills down to two and a half. And I, t- I, I took the Bengals total up to 51 and a half and took it under in a three-teamer. It obviously cost me a little juice, but um, obviously if the Raiders score that touchdown at the end, it's probably going to go over unless the Bengals were, would be able to, well, that would have gone over because it would have been 26 all. So I was sweating that last drive as much as anybody was. Uh, shout out to my younger brother, Ryan. He actually entered the Barstool Sportsbook Challenge where you had to pick the spread of every first round game. And uh, if you win, you not only win your bet, but they give you a thousand dollars bonus cash in the sportsbook. And he nailed it. He, he really hit all of Good them for him. Yeah. And he was, you know, he was closing to the Rams, obviously. And that never works out that way where no, right. you're, you're waiting on one game of a big parlay like that. And it's a no doubter the entire game and you have zero sweat left. It was Correct. A, in some ways anticlimactic for him, I think. But at the same time, I mean, you can't beat that when you're trying to cash a, a big parlay like that. I, I think you only had like 10 bucks on it to win 400 and something, but uh, still a nice little hit when you factor in the extra thousand dollars to play with here for the postseason. And Rick, I, I think I said it last week, you know, on first glance, uh, I liked all the favorites except for the Cowboys. And that's literally what happened. Five favorites won, and San Francisco was the lone dog. Yep, not a, not a big surprise there, and it set up some fantastic games for this weekend. So we'll start at 4.30 with the Bengals game. The Titans are a three-and-a-half-point favorite at home. The total is 47. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to take the Bengals to cover. In fact, I'm going to take them to straight-out right win. I'll give you a couple reasons why. The reason I, I take them to cover for sure you know, they're, they're, if you take out the Cleveland game, their only two road losses were by three points each, and this is a three-and-a-half-point spread. Um, the Bengals have been good on the road. Joe Burrow's hot. The offense is healthy. You're not as banged up as I mentioned on defense. I I, I get that Derrick Henry's back. I get what you talked about, that, hey, they kind of got all their weapons for a change. I, I just think the Bengals, it's, it's their – listen, I'm not picking them next week if they win this game. I'm sorry, fans. I just don't see them going to either Buffalo or Kansas City and winning. I just don't. Um, but I do see them winning this game. I'm going to go Bengals 
27, Titans 24. So Bengals and the over for me. <laughs> uh, it's the exact same score. I mean, I know people may not believe us when I say this, but I, I have my score sitting here on my computer. You're sitting screen. in Chicago, man. I'm in, I'm in my, I'm in my living room. I know we, we do this completely separate and I always have my scores written down here ahead of time. So I promise you, I'm not just uh, writing whatever skinny says here, but I've got the exact same score. Bengals 27 Titans 24 and, and skinny. It's funny. Ray, Ray, like, it is. Ray, Randy Bullock miss it. 24 all Randy Bullock misses with 53 seconds to go. Gives the Bengals field position on their own. They misses a 48 yarder. Cause that's what Randy Bullock does. Right. Bengals get field position on their own 38. Cramp. Yep. They, they get it down to about the 35 and McPherson walks it off from 52. Shooter McPherson, I yep. can see it happening. Absolutely, I've I've definitely got the uh, two field goals as a big part of the game plan in this win. But skinny to to your point about the you know not picking the Bengals next week, but still thinking that they have a very legitimate shot this weekend. Talking to someone last night, I mean, it's it, it's hard to say. You know, obviously I'm biased. I'm a Bengals fan. I've lived here all my life, and and I'm excited about this team, but. I really believe, honestly, from an objective point of view, and even just listening to some of the national people talk about this game, if I was looking at this game from a better perspective, I would feel really good about the Bengals here. Like, I think this is a spot where if you're looking for an underdog this week, the Bengals are the most attractive one. Yeah, agreed. I, I, well, I'm going to make another pick on another game for an underdog. But yeah, I, I think they're the, the attractive one to win outright. Yes. All right, Saturday at 8.15, we've got the 49ers at the Packers. The Packers are a six-point favorite. The total is 47. Yeah, I like the Packers to win because they're at home. And Aaron Rodgers, again, it feels like the farewell tour all season long. And I just, I think, I think they're going to the Super Bowl. But something tells me Frisco sticks around because of their ability to run the ball. Green Bay gives up 4.7 yards per rush. They don't give up a ton of yards per game, but a lot of that is Green Bay takes leads and teams have to throw to catch up. And maybe that factors into the running equation as well. But but I really like the way the Frisco play defense against Dallas. I, I, you know um, they can get after the passer. Uh, it, you know Jimmy G would scare you, but for whatever reason, you know you can talk about Jimmy G scaring you. But he did quarterback a team to a Super Bowl, and he's quarterbacked this team to the playoffs, and he won a playoff game at Dallas. So he obviously does some things right. Um, yeah, I can argue Debo Samuel does more things right, and he does. But I'm going to take Green Bay to win it. I'll go Green Bay. I'll go Green Bay 27-24. So Green Bay or uh, Frisco to cover in the over. All right. So you've got Frisco and the over. This this one will give us a little separation here. I'm on Packers 31, 49ers 24. So I've got Packers and the over here. The first bit of separation we've had on our playoff picks so far. We went uh I guess that would be 10 for 10 to this point in terms of the spreads and the totals. Our first differential here on the uh, the playoff pick them. So Sunday at 3 p.m., we've got the Rams at the Bucks. The Bucks are a three-point favorite. The total is 48 in the hook. Boy, it's so hard to bet against Tom Brady in a home playoff game, is it not? It is. It's tough, but, man, if there's a defense that can stop Tom Brady. yes. It's, it's, it's Aaron it's, Donald in this Rams defense. Yeah, getting get that pressure up the middle on him. Um, and, and listen, the whole Matthew Stafford thing, it kind of got the monkey off his back, right? He goes and wins a playoff game last week. All right, so we're not worried about Matthew Stafford any longer. I, I think the Rams are built to go win this game. I'm, I'm going to go Rams outright, um, go get the steal to win. Again, I'm going to go with the over on this one. Feels like I'm going to do it again. I'm going to go Rams 27, Tampa Bay 24. Feels like a 27-24 <laughs> weekend. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. I like these picks by you. I mean, I can't really say anything. I'm not a whole lot different here. I've got the Rams uh, 24 bucks, 21. So I'm on Rams and the under here, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm with you, the bucks and Tampa Bay and all of that. It's, it's hard to pick against and they are very good, but man, there's something special about this Rams group and the way they looked last week. It's hard to pick against them. I think Aaron Donald is the best player in the NFL without question. And he is the one guy that I feel could wreck Tom Brady's playoff run here. And then my prediction is skinny next week at this time, all the national shows are talking about is Tom Brady done now for real? Yeah. This- yeah, after, after he had a great regular season, right? I mean, yeah. he lose, he he's human. He can lose a home playoff game. Oh yeah. no. I think you're right though. Yeah, that's it's, it's you know it's coming. I mean, Aaron Donald will make him look old, quote unquote old in this game, and uh, the Bucks offense will fall apart a little bit in the end, and then people start start talking about is it finally time for Tom Brady to hang it up? Does he finally look old? And uh, it'll just be silly. So there's my prediction on that. Sunday at six thirty p.m. we've got Bills at Chiefs. The Chiefs are a two and a half point favorite, and the total is fifty four. Steelers gave us a little brief thrill, right? When they ran the fumble back and I was at a, we went to, to dinner. That was the night at snow. We went to dinner with another couple and um, that to a place that had the game on. And I, I think when I walked out of there to drive home, it was 14 to seven. As I walked out, by the time I turned my car on, it was 21, seven. I think I called you and said, Hey, I'm closing a parlay. The Steelers getting 15 and a half. And you're like, well, maybe you get the backdoor cover. By the time I get home and turn the TV on and it's 35 to seven, I've never seen a team score so many points so quickly. The other thing, too, for this Kansas City team is since since the calendar turned to November, since November the 1st, Rick, Kansas City's lost one game, and that was to red-hot Joe Burrow and the Bengals on the road. Uh, this Chiefs team is just really, really good, and I think Buffalo is offensively good, um, but I, I, I think that th- this is all Kansas City. I'm going to go Chiefs 38, Bills 28, so Chiefs and the over for me. All right. I like that. Uh, I, I like that pick there. And I like the fact that we're going to be different. I think that we're looking at an all time classic game in this one. I think both of these teams are playing at an extraordinarily level. I love Josh Allen. He's my favorite player in the NFL to watch right now. Obviously the chiefs offense and Patrick Mahomes is awesome. I'm going against the conventional logic here though. I think everyone believes that the chiefs is playing like the best team in the NFL right now. And they are the team to beat in this whole dang thing. I'm going to say the Bills pulled the upset in just an insane shootout. 38-35, Bills in the over for me. Yeah, this just feels like a shootout, does it not? I think it's going to be an awesome game. At least that's what I'm hoping for. Maybe I'm just trying to speak it into existence, but I think both of these teams look great right now. I'm expecting just a fantastic offensive performance on both sides. Man, for whatever reason, man, I'm I'm going all overs this weekend. I didn't do that intentionally. I just did as we went game by game. So, well, I mean, I'm, you also picked the same score for almost all the games, and it's a, a, a score that's going to be an over for almost any NFL total. So, that, yeah, that, that's a good point. That's a good call. <laughs> all right, let's get into a, a quicker round of ask any anything here, as I've got to, to get out and get showered and get to shoot around here in a little bit. Um, we'll start with our question from our good buddy Mo Egger, who vowed to me yesterday on his hit extremely popular drive time afternoon sports show on ESPN 1530 that he would ask us a question for asking anything 
every week from here on out. That's his okay, right. us. It's his he New Year's resolution. He's he, going to ask did, a question every single week. So he, he did. He did. He did not tell me that yesterday. So okay, I mean that's interesting. Good. I'm going to hold him to that. Okay. Uh, his question for this week was: Should the governor of Kentucky work with the General Assembly to craft and pass legislation that would officially name the stretch of Interstate 71 from Walton to Louisville after CNL Perez? <laughs> that's awesome. I think they should. I mean, who drove that more than him other than an over the over the road trucker? Well, you know, our 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 boss, Mark Jusak, had a really good comment on that. He said, Well, are they gonna change it from Brandon Larson way? Oh, that's a good one too. Yeah. I mean, maybe <laughs> maybe, you have, a couple, maybe, but... maybe you have a couple of stretches of, of highway. Maybe <laughs> maybe one way it's well, but because they had to drive both ways. Maybe just for a stretch of it, it is Brandon Larson way. Uh, Brandon Larson Parkway, and we'll call it CNL Perez Highway on the other other part. Yeah, I mean, is there a bridge there? Can we can we name? Yeah, a, there is. Yeah, yeah, there's that bridge that goes um, right when you come out of Carrollton, I believe. Yeah, it, they meet at, meet at the bridge. It could be like a picture of those two right. shaking hands or waving as they drive by each other. It'd be a good homage uh, to them. That's great. I love that. that's an awesome question. Yeah, that's good stuff. Thank you, Mo. We look forward to the rest of your questions this year. Um, another good one here, and this is Mo Egger related, and this actually came from Mark too. This could get messy, but let's do it. Rank the Mo Egger sidekicks from his Ooh. show. Uh, that includes, I feel like this one's unfair because this goes way back and this guy's gone on to huge success, but Greg Doyle was on the list. Then, uh, Lindsey Patterson, James Rapine, Taryn Bland, uh, Tony Pike. And uh, whomever, whomever else was omitted, I'm going to throw Mark Shalafu in that list because now he's oh, a comedian Mark, as that's well. That's right. Mark Mark was his producer for a while. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I don't I don't think of Lindsay and and Taryn as sidekicks. They don't chime in quite as much as James did, and James has now gone on to some some big time things. Um, you know, Lindsay was good. So is Taryn. I love Taryn. I love them both. Um, Greg Doyle, I'm going to rank at the bottom of that list, and I love Greg Doyle. I think he's a talented guy, but it, I, I think I told Mo this at the time they were doing the show. Somebody needed to be the straight man. You know, they, they, it was almost like they were both trying to be funny man, and that's why, to Mo's credit, I think you know him doing a solo show for the most part. He does the, the Monday thing with Tony um, and does sometimes the, the noon show with Tony on occasion. I, I think Mo by himself is really good. I, I do, and, and I've known Mo for 20-plus years when he was producing Jim Scott's show, and um, I remember the first time he filled in on a sports show and was absolutely horrific and, um, you know, made, he was, he admittedly was horrific. He was, it was like, oh, dude, come on now. I think he spent his whole show blasting Louisville for whatever reason, um, uh, the university of Louisville for whatever reason. But I, I mean, he is a good listen for me. I, I'm one of those guys that, um, uh, I've never thought sports talk radio needed callers. I, I don't think he needs callers. I think he's that good. Agreed. No, we're, we're really fortunate. I mean, if you drive around at all and listen to some sports talk radio when you're in other towns, we're fortunate to have the two guys we do in Mo and Lance. But this isn't about sucking up to them. It's about making their uh, former sidekicks pissed off. So um, I, I'm going to say I think uh, you're right. There are some different levels here in terms of their role. But in terms of if we're just ranking people in general for whatever reasons we like, I think I'm going to go. Patterson towards the top of the list. Um, Mark Shalafu towards the top of the list because I enjoy his comedy. And, uh, you know, James Rapine, he went from hot take James to That's one, right. of, the, one oh, of the better we, Bengals guys in town. I mean, we, you got, we, you we, got we, to give we, hot take James we, some credit for that transformation. We we used to laugh at his, his uh, 
who was the receiver Ross John um, Ross. Oh, I still, I still trust me. I still give him crap for that. We used to laugh at his John Ross takes, and now he's, uh, you know, he's got his YouTube channel. He's cooking. Yep. No, I, I'm happy for all those 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 fine folks. Um, yeah, I, and I go back to like I said, I think Greg Doyle, I, his mailbag that he used to do for CBS Sports dot com when he worked for them was an absolute must read where people would rip him and he would just have great answers back and uh, I, I think he's a, just a talented writer and he's talented on the radio it just was almost it, it just didn't mix to me it, it just didn't somebody that's why I told him, somebody's got to be the straight guy you can have a sense of humor but it almost felt like everybody was trying to they were trying to one up each other all the time all right what here's the uh, Bengals question from our guy George he says would you take Big Ben's career numbers for Burrow yeah, I think two I Super would. Bowls, two, eight yeah. AFC North championships. Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah, of no question. It, I think that's a no-brainer. He and, and he must have two because he adds on same question, but subtract one Super Bowl. In other words, if you told me Burrow would win one Super Bowl in Cincinnati and that's it, would you be okay with that? I would be. How could Aaron you not be? Right? Aaron Rodgers I mean, won one Super Bowl in Green Bay, man. Yeah, that, that's the thing. I mean, some of the best ever never got to win a Super Bowl. Right. And, and, you know, if you're guaranteed a Super Bowl, especially in Cincinnati, yeah, how can you expect more out of the guy? You dude, know, dude, I mean, like, we're, yeah, we're still I, we're still living off the 70s Reds and the 81 and 88 Super Bowl teams that didn't win a Super Bowl. Dude, look what one playoff win did. To this that's thing. right. That's right. No, I mean, I, if I, they win I, a Super Bowl anytime in the next decade plus, it, I'm definitely going to take that. And I think almost any Bengals fan will, too. Now, is there a world in which I like to envision Joe Burrow developing the next dynasty here in Cincinnati and this team being able to go on a run where they win two or more Super Bowls? Absolutely. Yeah. That, but, if that, that's, giving, but if you're giving me the guarantee, I'm taking the guarantee. Ab, yeah, of course. And, and I'm not going to be upset if that's what it comes out to be. If they find a way to win one Super Bowl while Joe Burrow is our quarterback, that'll mean everything to Bengals fans that are around my age that grew up through the nineties and the early two thousands and saw all the uh, despair and <laughs> everything else right. that we went through. Right. And listen, I, I think Pat Mahomes will win another Super Bowl, but there's no guarantee of that. Right. Right. I mean, you know, Lamar Jackson still can't win a playoff game. This so, is true. I think I, I think there are definitely going to be some hard conversations with Lamar Jackson this offseason. Finally, everyone was too worried to have them other than you. You've been you've been beating that drum for a while now. I think other people are finally going to be ready to have those conversations. Well, I, 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 he's insanely talented. So, I'm you know, I've never he thought is. that. I've just thought that eventually that something's going to happen. It's going exactly to catch up what to happened him. this year. Yeah. Right. And, and And when he's been healthy, he's not been able to win playoff games. Joe Burrow's done that. How, how many Justin Herbert got so far? You think if I gave that same question in L.A., they'd take it for Justin Herbert winning a Super Bowl with the Chargers? Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Josh Allen in the Bills? What about Trevor Lawrence and the Jags? Uh, they just like to uh, win three or four games. <laughs> they would just like a coach that could stay yeah. for three or four years, maybe. But, no, I think that's a great comparison, right? Because from a collegiate level, you know, Joe had the insane year that statistically, but there was a belief that collegiately they were about similar. Uh, maybe even some people had Trevor Lawrence as a better uh, quarterback. Right? I would say most people thought Trevor Lawrence was the can't yeah. miss guy, and Joe right. Burrow was insanely good, but didn't have all the physical tools that a guy like Lawrence did. Right, and, and listen, Joe Burrow's got way more talent around him than Trevor Lawrence does this year, but Joe didn't have a ton of talent around him last year, and it was hurt for the most part, and you know, he didn't have Jamar Chase to add to the mix, and uh, you know. He, he's now become, as we talked about, an upper echelon quarterback, and the question marks are out 
sadly for Trevor Lawrence, and some of it, again, is, you're right, coaching-related, but, you know, we're, we're having those conversations probably in another year if Trevor Lawrence doesn't develop of, oh, is he really the guy? Well, I mean, Zach Taylor has done great things, and I think they did a good job of putting a, a solid base around Joe Burrow for this year. But let's be frank. If Joe Burrow wasn't playing well, you know what everyone would be talking about right now. They'd be talking about what a disaster the Bengals are for not finding enough protection for him, right. not getting enough guys around him, and the fact that he's the quarterback that was sacked most in the NFL this season. Yeah. That's what the narrative would be. So, I mean, yes, Joe Burrow has some great talent around him, but it could also go the other way here, and everyone could be talking about how bad the Bengals were as a front offense for not protecting him better if he wasn't playing well. That's right. All right, let's uh, we'll see we'll see how long this one goes. We'll do at least one more here. What current college basketball coach would Skinny most want to play for? <laughs> I love these questions. I listen. I'd love to play for Tom Izzo. I think he's hard, but I think he's extremely fair, and he'd be a guy that I, I would honestly love to play for. You would get into a fist fight with Tom Izzo so fast. I mean, that guy challenges all of his players to fights. I think uh, we've seen him do it on national television multiple times after I, getting reprimanded for it. I think you and Tom Izzo would come to blows within approximately 72 hours of you joining the roster. Listen, man, I've, I've, I've had bosses that have been tough on me. I've, I've, I've and had you've told them you're going David. to kick their ass as we've heard right here on this podcast. That, that, that is correct. But, but <laughs> it, it, the, the challenge at times has made me do better. So I, 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 we all need that challenge. We do. Some don't want the challenge, but we all need the challenge. Fair enough. My guy would have been Roy Williams, but this this question is tougher now that Roy is not around. Yeah, who do you do you have somebody? Man, I you know I think, you know, it, would be, I think it would be Coach Cal if I'm being honest. Well, I'll go one more because I I I just I love I love what he does, and he seems likable. You probably know better than I do. Uh, Jay Wright would be I think awesome to play for too. That's one that would be on my list, although I admit the Xavier fans have worn me down a little bit because all the Big East fans talk about how much of a whiner Jay Wright is constantly with the officials. And I'll admit, like, that's kind of starting to get to me a little bit, too. He is getting a little bit annoying at this point. And if you're on his team, you don't really care about that stuff. But it's, I think he's turned me off just enough that he doesn't come to the forefront of my mind anymore. Yeah. But he's yeah. a damn good coach, and he seems he like he has a pretty coach. solid temperament. Correct. Correct. Uh, the other, other side of the same coin, what coach would skinny want the opportunity to coach when they were in their playing days? Oh my gosh. I'd have to think long and hard about that yeah, one. I mean, that's a, that's a tough question. I Pat, Pat Ewing. <laughs> yeah, that would, that would have been fun. I would have said you protect the rim and then I'm going to go, go guard everybody else on the perimeter. Like they did. I'm going to go steal the ball from you. And if they don't, he's going to swat it into, into oblivion. Yeah, I think that's a good pick. Um, this might be a little bit mean, but let's go ahead and do it since someone asked, and it's kind of on the same topic. Oh, gosh. If you had to choose one of the following college coaches as your coach, who would you pick out of Chris Mack, Penny Hardaway, Hubert Davis, and Mike Woodson? I, I'm a big Chris. I, 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 I like Chris Mack as a coach. I do. I know things are not going well in Louisville, and he's, he's opened his mouth a couple times too many, but I, I think Chris is a really good coach. Uh, Penny doesn't know what he's doing. Um, and Hubert Davis is too young in his career. I do like what Mike Woodson's doing at Indiana. Good for him to come back to his alma mater when a lot of people question that higher and, and have Indiana playing well. But yeah, I, I, for me, I'd, I'd rather play for Chris Mack. 
Yeah, I mean, Hubert Davis and Mike Woodson is just too early to really judge them a whole lot. Um, I know people don't feel great in terms of those two fan bases right now, but I, I think you, you got to give them some time. We're in their first year. They had to rebuild the program. And when you're talking about... And I use thir- use 13 and 4 heading into a home game with Purdue tonight. I mean, the, it, it's it's possible. And they're 11 yeah. and 0 at home. They, they get that upset there. That's a hell of a signature early win for Mike Woodson. If they win at Purdue, that'd be great. But also, I'd, I'd tell you to go read like the peaks.com message boards right now and see how happy IU fans are with the way the team's playing. It's they don't like the offense. Let's put it that way. The defense has been good at times, but they are concerned that they are right back in the Archie Miller situation where the offense is just going to be a problem. And so all all they've got is trace Jackson Davis. Who else do they have to score the ball? All right, look, I'm not saying you're wrong. And like I said, these coaches had to find a way to turn around their roster really quickly. And it's just a different game than it used to be with the transfer portal in that regard. So you got to give these guys a little bit of time, but um, I think Chris Mack is the easy choice here. Look, whoever was walking into that Louisville job, after Rick Pitino was never going to get a fair chance. He was never going to be able to measure up. You add on the fact that you were facing NCAA sanctions and that was hanging over your head while you were trying to recruit while not being Rick Pitino. And it's even an even more of a reason that you were never going to have a chance to really succeed at this job. And then you get COVID, you get the whole Dino Gaudio thing that's gone on with Chris. You had the Eric Wood video that got out like some things have gone wrong for Chris that he could have controlled clearly. And I don't know that he has the, the best personality to deal with some of the pressure. And now that things have, have gone South on him, but in terms of who you want as a basketball coach and, and what they've proven at this point, it's a no doubter here, Chris Mack out of these four guys. Yeah. I mean, the, the loss at Pitt was ugly and then they bounced back and they, they beat BC last night. Um, you know, they're five and three in the league and in the ACC, that's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> it's a, I think that'd be a tough sell to the fan base right now. Oh, I get it. I mean, it, it, I, I, I understand it. But yeah, Chris Mack would be the easy answer for me on that. I would agree. Look, we, we had uh, several questions submitted this week from people. And Archive I've got them. these. I'm, I'm keeping them in a queue. We will get to them at another time. Uh, none of them really look too time dependent that they had to be asked this week. So we're a little short on time in terms of our schedules. So we will save those for another time. That's all I got for this week, Skinny. All, all good. Appreciate all the questions as well. For Rick Broering, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast. Oh, by the way, we'll be back uh, on Sunday with the Bengals podcast after the game against Tennessee. So be sure to join us then. Sorry about that. But for Rick, Rick Broering, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope re-edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending.